Thank you once again for listening to this beautiful episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast. Uh, You can find out more details about me on my website at jasoncooper.io. I'm the sales relationship coach, work in the areas of high-performance coaching, and not only high-performance coaching, high-performance training in the areas of developing your professional self in what areas to do with sales, leadership, and also coaching the managers and high-performance training from a different point of view, for the latest ways of doing things to help you get what you want and help your customers increase that edge. Hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. And wherever you are in this wide, wonderful, beautiful world that we live in, you are very welcome to the Global Sales Leader podcast. Every week I speak to some phenomenal guests from around the globe, wherever they are, the US, England, Australia, New Zealand, you know, wherever. But what I'm most interested in is how people work and even more so how much golden nuggets that we can give forward to the audience. Because I want everyone to learn and everyone to grow so they can find their own success and whatever success means to you. So I'm the sales relationship coach. But what does that mean? It's all about connection. It's all about the other person and how we can empathetically communicate with the other person. But it's for the longevity. I like to call it people skills because I think it's really, really good to have that emotional connection with the other person to help them to get what they want. Sorry, I stole that Zig Ziglar quote there. Thank you, Zig and Tom Zig. I know quite well. And my guest today is Michelle Johnson. Hello. Hello, Jason. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to this. So um, Dr. Michelle Johnson is a management professor. Oh, I'm privileged with that. Uh, executive coach, leadership expert, and serves at the Gaston Chair of Business, Laurel University of New Orleans. Oh, I'd love to go to New Orleans. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, but on on my array of bucket lists of places to go, uh, and your first book is Seismic Shift in Leadership. So fascinated by that. Um, and also, you are part and parcel of the Marshall Goldsmith clan, the hundred of the the best leadership uh, coaches around the world. So Marshall's on my list as well at some stage to speak with. But today, look, I've given you a bit of a synopsis about you, but can you tell me about you, the oh. things that I might have missed along the way? I'd be happy to. Absolutely. So I grew up as a corporate brat is what we call it. And um, I don't know if it's as prevalent as it was when I was growing up. But back then, big corporate America, my dad worked for General Motors in the finance section, GMAC. And back then, when you were really good at your job, they promoted you but they transferred you as well. So it wasn't like, I'm going to give you a promotion. You can just stay now and manage the people you were just a part of a team with. They said, no, we need to um, transfer you to a new market. So we moved every two years. And that really did influence um, me as a person because I I really got kind of a bird's eye view of not only different cultures and different types of human behavior, but also Mm -hmm. 
how to connect and how not to connect. I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There were some cities where I was really good and I made friends. And there were other cities where all I talked about was my former city and how great it was. And <laughs> nobody wanted to hear that. Right. Know? I can imagine. Right. That didn't work so well. So that really, so, so I think those were formidable years growing up, moving around. And I had a grandfather who was a PhD from Georgetown in economics and he taught and he was a part of um, the President Johnson's administration in federal housing. And he was an author of books. And so he went on a letter writing campaign when I was graduating from mm -hmm graduate at Auburn saying, Michelle, you need to get a PhD, you need to get a PhD. And I think, I think all of those things together, you know, really motivated me to study communication and to ultimately be an author of a book, which is all about connection. Um, I have been at Loyola for over 20 years now teaching communication and leadership and strategic um, management and communication. And, and I've learned so much working with this new era, this new generation of students, yeah. and then coming out of um, the, the, the true seismic shift coming out of COVID. It's just a whole new world of work. And, and I feel like I'm on a mission now. And thank you for you know, partnering me, Jason, with your listeners, because I do, I, I am on a mission and I want to yeah. make workplaces more positive. I want to get rid of jerk bosses. I want to get rid of those, you know, one bad apple can really infect the, the entire culture. Yeah. And, and so that that's what I'm about. Yeah, I, I, I completely concur with you. There's a lot of bad practices out there. When I first was on my very first training course, many Many years ago, the trainer stood in front and he was slamming his ruler on the table and he's trying to get the best out of people to go out there and sell within the city of London. I just froze. And that was just from the top down. This is what I, I, I'd led myself. And I died in that time. It just was one of those things that is resonated with me for the rest of my days and it's still i still see it now it's just that's not the right way to communicate with people it's not the right way to empower people it's not the right way to get the best out of people is to ridicule them embarrassing them and it's still happening now it's just very frustrating that leaders still want to think that way Oh, it's still happening for sure. I conduct 360s whenever I begin an executive coaching relationship. And so I sit on all of this data and and it, it is tough to hear yeah. that people are still in the year 2023 publicly humiliated on Zoom calls in front of their peers. Yeah. And the leader truly thinks that that's the way to motivate. And so, uh, you know, hopefully I'm, I'm making a positive difference. I want to also go back to what you said about communication. Here's what I've learned. And con considering that all of my degrees were in communication, yeah. undergraduate was PR journalism, master's was basic communication, PhD was really looking at communications from an organizational perspective. 
And what I've learned about connection is it's very different than communication. Communication really is more about transacting, getting information from point A to point B. And it can Mm -hmm. kind of be put in that old school, that old command and control. I'm going to be on stage as a leader communicating one way or pushing the message down to you all where connection, what I've learned, which is, I think, the secret sauce, what it takes to be successful right now, no matter what type of leader you are. I was just speaking to a women's leadership summit and many of the women in the room were not employed in the workforce. They were the leaders of their households. And that is, you can be a leader in any way, but but the command and control, even in the household, doesn't necessarily work anymore, you know, through intimidation and fear and, and, and just feeling so leading with ego and power that doesn't work. So here's what I've learned about connection. Connection is a shared experience. So you and I, Jason, are having a true connection today because we're sharing. It's a yep. dialogue, right? Yep. Whereas if you're if you're a leader right now and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, okay, most of my workforce is still remote. So I conduct now my meetings, not face-to-face, yep. but virtually, but I'm just conducting them in the same exact way as I used to. I show up, I have an agenda, I go around, I want to hear updates, and then I tell them what they need to do, give them their marching orders. Guess what? <laughs> That's not connection. No, no, it's uh, do what I say, not what I do. Exactly. Um, it doesn't work. It doesn't not work. It's uh, I've been involved in those sort of meetings before in the past, and it's just like you're sitting there stony-eyed and going, and you come out there. What was that about? And you didn't in, you didn't interact. You didn't say, Michelle, how are you today? Is everything okay? How's home life? How's your personal life? Those personal connections, even before the meetings that you have, and you get people to bring stuff to the table. So there's an interaction. It's not about you. It's about your team. It's about what they can bring to the table. And you shift to the side. You're you're the conductor. But they play the instruments. That is a brilliant way of looking at it. Gosh, who wrote the book years ago? The Art of Possibility. It's coming to me. Ben Zander. Ben Zander. That was one of the books I read. Uh, Jason, I'm talking years ago when I was trying to figure out how to better connect with my students. And I was still following the old command and control. I was supposed to be the knowledgeable one who knew everything about everything, would march into the classroom and have my piece of chalk and lecture for hours on end and then give them homework and tell them to go away. And I was realizing, again, there was a seismic shift happening back then in academia. That wasn't working anymore. So I read Ben Zander's book, The Art of Possibility. Well, I've never read that. Oh, my gosh. He was the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he had been trained to lead by fear. And he wanted his people at the time to be scared of him, the musicians. And then he realized this was not working because they didn't feel like he cared about them at all. He just came in and and it wasn't working anymore. And so he learned how to, that was probably the very beginnings of this thing called flipping the classroom. He said, I started walking in because of course he taught the musicians and then he conducted in the orchestra. He said, "I, I started, I changed my mindset to whereas I didn't walk in the classroom looking at, at all of my musicians for the mistakes they were making. I walked into the classroom looking at all of them as A students 
and I'm there to coach and help them. And then when I'm on stage, I'm there to truly bring out the best in them. And he said it was a total shift in mindset. And Jason, that completely affected me in the most positive ways. Mm. And I became a much better professor when I went in as, as a coach. I am your coach. And, and that is exactly what you just said, that leaders, leaders who are being left behind where the seismic shift is, is not serving them well, they're like, I'm going to hold on to command and control as long as I can. They're getting pushed out of organizations because they don't see themselves as servant leaders. They see themselves as still kind of the, the dictators, right? Mm. And, and until you shift and say, I am here to serve you, support you, build you up, develop you and make sure that I want you to know that I care about you. That's the shift. So you're going to love this, Jason. So I just got off of my own um, podcast recording called The Seismic Shift. And I interviewed a New Orleans Saints NFL player who had played, he's retired now, John Stinchcomb. And he had played in the Super Bowl when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. And so we were trying to deconstruct what is the secret sauce does it take to, because here the Super Bowl is in what, two weeks, I think. Maybe it's next weekend. I think it's a week from this Sunday. Oh, you're not more than me. <laughs> so, so what does a winning Super Bowl team look like? Yeah. And what's, the, what's the secret sauce in that? And he immediately, without even being prepped, he had not read my book. He said, Michelle, it is all about like Drew Brees was the quarterback of his Saints team. You have to genuinely show your people you care about them. And I was going to say, uh, and bringing on to that, is to find out what motivates them. Find their intrinsic motivators to get the best out of them. And something that I do, probably similar to yourself, is I get them to write down, well, what motivates you? Let's write a list in front of you. That, 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 like 10 all right, let's go on to 20. Let's let's have a look at other intrinsic motivators. And once you've got that, then they're motivated to get what they want. And especially if you're a sales leader and you want to bring the best out of people, is that internal dialogue, even to go around and uh, support them and have a conversation with them beside them and go, hey, Michelle, how's the family? Did you actually get to book your holiday yet? Not yet. I still need to hit my target. So once you hit your target, you can actually go ahead and book your holiday, can't you, with your family, and you can get to see your parents as well at the same time. Wouldn't that be great? Ah, excellent. Having that dialogue, and it's not command and control. It's just really bringing the best out of them just so they can inspire to focus on what works for them and get that burning desire, I like to say, Connect your passion with your purpose to your dream. And once you've got that, then people are motivated to just drive forward. And that really excites me. You probably see me now. For the audio listeners, I I start to speed up my uh, dialogue as well. So I I love that. So let's have a look at it from your point of view, Michelle. When when you go into organizations, uh, like I've been working in sales organizations for a number of years, but up and down, up and down, to get the best out of people. What's what's your strategy there? Yeah, so I believe through my research, so the, the only thing that I truly in my heart knew to be true when I started writing this book was that command and control was no longer effective and that it was about connection. But uh, that was my lightning bolt moment, my revelation, and I had to figure out at that point, I went and interviewed 18 leaders from around the world 
to try to deconstruct, oh gosh, okay, well, what are we talking about? So if you're a leader and now you know it's about meaningful connection, what exactly do you do? And yeah. here's what I've learned. So the connection has to be, for you to be successful as a leader right now, connection has to be at three levels and you have to spend the most time first on connection with yourself. That's right. Here's yeah. what I've learned is that perfection equals disconnection. So we as humans, we have BS meters that yep. are pretty accurate. And we pick up if somebody is inauthentic and fake. And mm -hmm. if they're doing something because they were told they have to. So I'll give you an example. Going back to this interview with, uh, with the Saints player, he said, yeah, well, when we went out to dinner every Thursday night, the offensive line went out to dinner as a group. And Drew Brees, our quarterback, was there. And he was asking us questions about our family. We knew he really cared because of his character and who he was as a person. We knew he really cared. He said, but there were some guys who really were did not have strong character, who you could just tell they were just checking boxes, just asking questions. They didn't really care about you. So you have to connect with yourself first and foremost and truly understand what gifts you bring to the table as a leader, who you are, what your personality is, how you communicate, what your faults are, your blind spots. And a lot of that, again, that takes a, a lot of a hard look in the mirror and a lot of self-reflection. But once you truly can own your journey, your story, who you are, then you can show up authentically. Then and only then can you meaningfully connect with your team. And that's the second yeah. level. But let me go back with that quote that I learned that perfection equals disconnection. So many, as I was writing this book, I had three leaders all in one year, three top leaders that I was coaching get pushed out of their organizations. Even mm -hmm. though we had done the 360, I was coaching them. And what I found out is all three of them for different reasons and different purposes, I didn't really understand it, but they were all trying to be somebody they weren't. Yep. Yep. So they were trying to be perfect and whatever perfect was in their eyes. So one of them was trying to be the former boss that were, that was a really effective leader for 25 years, but in a different era. And that, that leader had been aggressive and hardcore. And so this female who was taking over is like, if I just act like him, I'm going to be successful. Well, it bombed, right? Because she was not authentic and she was trying to be somebody else. And a shift had happened. 25 years yep. is a long time. Things change. And so the other guy was trying to be his former mentor. The other person didn't know who he was and was brand new to New Orleans, felt so uncomfortable with this drinking, crawfish, music, culture. And yeah. he was one of those things. So he just pretended that he was. My point is humans can have a, have a BS meter. And, and so they, so perfection equals disconnection. Yeah. So once you're really like, this is me and I, and, and then I know who I am and I care about you. So I not only care about myself, right. To be able to show up authentically, but I care about you. And then the highest level of connection is level three connection. And that's connection with the organization. Mm. And that's all about alignment and making sure that you as the leader truly are aligned with where your company, your organization is going. And you can communicate that in a way that strategic vision and the values and the culture so that it inspires your people. 
and you can persuade and motivate. But there were many leaders that I interviewed for my book who told me stories of disconnection of how they worked for companies. And a lot of people experienced this during COVID. They worked for companies that they realized were not aligned with their values. And that's when you have cognitive dissonance and you're like, whoa, I can't be who I naturally, who I really am because I don't believe in what the company's doing. So something's got to give, right? And the challenge is now there's a lot of the tech companies are have stopped um, and made people redundant, even though they've got this wonderful culture around them. And all of a sudden they're looking around going, this wasn't what it was supposed to be. I didn't sign up for this. And then they have to shift how they think and feel about themselves and about the organization. And then the, the organization had to come back and, look after their people and shift the change in there. But it's up to the leaders now, from what I can see, is to believe into their team. And as you said, so rightly so, is before you can actually do that, it's, and I've taken an awful lot of time to invest in myself to really understand who I am. Before I can actually understand me is, once I've done that, I can really connect with other people very quickly because I have that uh, emotional connection that I've looked and understood myself. I know my vulnerabilities and I'll share my vulnerabilities with people because I know in a narrative that really works well um, when you're portraying that trust and that connection and also that credibility. Like The world's not all shiny. The world's not this, that and the other. Things do happen, but it's how you get back and how you can connect back in with your team to get them motivated, to help them get up to where they need to be and shift their behaviors, but also looking after yourself, however you want to do that, whether you meditate, whether you run the mountains or whether you uh, walk and go in fresh air or, or whatever it is, just to really understand how I'm feeling. I love it. Yes. And and that does take a lot of time. I remember, I'll be really vulnerable with you and your listeners. I remember um, when I first started reading Brene Brown's work, um, I read a, a book, she, The Gifts of Imperfection. Oh, yeah. And she talked about how important it was to own your story. And so I immediately started having my MBA students, their first exercise in class was to own their story and share it with everybody. And so this one student got up, beautiful story. And he said, I'm from a poor town in Honduras. He said, and and that's not a problem. He said, a lot of people where in my country are poor. He said, I never thought I'd have the, the privilege of studying in graduate school at Loyola. He said, but the part of my story that I'm going to share with you all today for the first time is that when my grandfather died, my grandma moved in, not just with us, but we had to share the same bedroom and the same bed. And he said, and only my, my close friends knew that I was so embarrassed and I can't believe I'm, I'm sharing this with you. But the reason why I am is because my grandma died last spring and I realized I wouldn't trade those years for anything. And here I spent so many years putting up this wall, you know, and covering up like, oh, don't tell that because then people won't respect you. And he's like, I realize that's the best part of my story. Yeah. When I saw that, here's what's vulnerable about my sharing that story with you. That's a great story. And you could tell when he shared it, he all of a sudden was holding himself higher. And then you could see that the class immediately trusted him. So it goes both ways. It helps him. It helps with trust. But what I realized, Jason, is I had not owned my story. I remember thinking, 
well, who in the heck am, am I? And, and wh what would I even tell people my story was? And so I had to sit down. And, and that's why one of the things you said, Michelle, tell me about you. I'm like, well, let me tell you, my childhood was one of moving around every two years. And it taught me a whole lot. For, for years, I wouldn't even admit that because I was so self-conscious because people would say, well, Michelle, where are you from? I'd say, oh, Alexandria, Virginia. They're like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I, but I, di I didn't grow up there. And I was so uncomfortable that I would just put this wall up. And then I realized I wasn't connecting with people because I wasn't owning my own story. Yeah. yeah. It's fascinating to me. And until you truly own your own story, people don't trust you. Yeah. And it is. And it is. And we all have that uh, ego in our heads. Oh, if I did this, what will people think? So what? Who cares? doesn't matter. It's better out. And you've said it, especially where it's a, 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 something that's going to be a good narrative for other people to understand and other people to see from your point of view and see the world from, Okay, like you've you've had that as well, and like you went through hardships and you went through this, and as a leader, we should all be doing that. Like we don't say everything because we want to be strong, want to be this, that, and the other. But you know, things don't always work out that well. You know, uh, that again, there's lots of challenges with tech industry at the moment. People um, being overdone, but you know, it's it's. It's to show that vulnerability as well and how to inspire others to get what they want. And I, I'm always passionate about that. So I hope we shall go. Always got a lovely question to ask. So I want you to imagine just for a moment, if you were sitting next to you and you were interviewing you, what sort of questions would you ask yourself? I would say, okay, Michelle, you've done a lot of research and you've conducted a lot of interviews and you truly believe that connection is the answer. So what can I do as a leader to better connect? And, and I would tell them that you have to embed time to do it and to ask those personal questions. So whether it's take 10 to check in, I like having little models to follow. I think it's easier. And the one I like is just take 10 to check in. And, and every time you have a team meeting, whether it's in person or, or on Zoom, you know, spend that first 10 minutes just going around the room and saying, how are you personally? How are you professionally? And you could do it on a scale of one to 10. Yeah. Or you can just say, how are you and how's our team? Um, what can I do to support you and go around? I, I, I have learned that you have to embed it or it doesn't happen. And, and I'll give you an example. I was my daughter graduated from high school last year and started college this year. And I was at the graduation party and my book had just launched. And so parents were coming up to me and one dad came up to me and he owns a big seafood company. And he comes up to me and he, and he wasn't smiling. He said, Michelle, I read your book. And just by his nonverbals, I said, uh-oh. He goes, yeah. He goes, I, I learned I'm doing everything wrong. I said, that's not true. I'm here for you. Let's talk it through. He goes, well, are you telling me that when my supervisor came into my office the other week, holding his phone with this frantic look on his face, and I thought, oh, gosh, what's wrong? Did we lose a customer? Did a machine break? Oh, no. He came over to say, look, my son learned how to walk. Oh, and he said, are you trying to tell me that next week I, A, have to remember he has a son and B, have to remember his son's name? And I said, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm telling you. So I do feel like a lot of people feel like, oh, my gosh, this is pressure. 
But guess what? That is what it takes to be an exceptional leader right now, because these connection, these opportunities to meaningfully connect are just not happening as organically as they used to. Yeah. So if your workforce is still working from home, then I'm proposing, I'm really recommending making them come to the office. If you can't do it once a week, do it once a month and have lunch Mm. together break bread, share appreciation, share some gratitude and collaborate a little bit. Do it quarterly, have an offsite, come together. Yeah. And, and, and again, collaborate. And we need these face-to-face connections, I believe. So that's what I would ask myself. And that's what I would want to know is how in the world do we do it right now? Another thing I wanted to add on top of that actually is like there's Big thing about wellness into the workplace at the moment, stress and whatever else. But once you do, as a leader, uh, you do see something that's not quite right and you do have that one-on-one, something that I've learned to do and I, I think it's hugely empowering. You know when you say, how are you, Michelle? And you go, yeah, great, I'm wonderful. But Michelle, how are you really? Is really sort of uncovering a little bit more about, look, how are you really? Like, I've noticed that things are probably not going so well, but I just wanted to find out a little bit more just so I know how to approach you at this moment. Is everything okay? And what I want to do is just have that emotional connection with them because I know how are you. Everyone puts out that facade, and that's globally. Everyone does the same thing. Uh, and I want to make sure that how are you really is really sort of bring a little bit more out of the person uh, and hopefully get something about so I can understand and resonate with them a little bit more because I know once I understand them, they would be more empowered to work with me. Oh, absolutely. You know what's wild about that, Jason, is um, one of my clients is Auctioner Health and they have 40,000 employees and their chief wellness officer, Dr. Nigel, actually sent out probably two, two and a half, two years ago in the middle of the pandemic, when one of the variants just came out of nowhere and we all had to shut down again. Do you remember those days? Oh yes. And he sent out an email and the subject line was, how are you comma really? And he said, I'm the chief wellness officer. And I got to tell you, if you ask me that, how am I doing? Really? I'm not doing well. Yeah, And he said, and, and I think you can probably estimate that most of us aren't doing well. Yeah, and, and so why don't you just address the elephant in the room and just say, how are you doing really? Yeah. And, and what we've learned, again, going back to connection, which is different than communication, true meaningful connection is saying, making the other person feel, really, that's what this is about. Connection is making you feel, Jason, I see you, I hear you. I value you. I care about you. And just by asking the question, how are you doing really shows all of that. Yeah. And, and it truly does. And again, it's, it's, it's about that connection and trust. And it's also doing more. And I think that's in sales anyway, it's doing more than sometimes you're expected to. I'm not saying bring them up on a Saturday morning and do that. Just a little check in every now and again, uh, and always commit, I think, committing to something. Uh, if you say you're going to do something, is commit to it and make sure that you do it because I think that just sets an example. I've seen it so many times that they commit to a meeting and then they don't show up and go, well, why didn't you show up? I, you didn't say that. I and mean, I'm just sitting there like a clown 
and going, well, I'm supposed to be speaking with you. Uh, why aren't you telling me? So if you commit to making sure that you do it, then it will set that wonderful example to other people. Yes, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I was on a four-hour Zoom the other day, yeah. which was really kind of painful, right? Yeah, yeah. With no embedded bio breaks or a break for lunch, nothing. Oh, wow. And yet I take it like you do pretty pretty seriously. If I'm going to commit to a Zoom, I'm going to have my camera on yeah. and I'm going to be engaged because we as humans assume the worst. So there was a one very high level leader who never put the camera on, never spoke, never had anything in chat until the very end of that four hour meeting. And in a chat finally said, I'm really sorry, I'm, I've been sick. And that's why I haven't participated. But if they had just said that in the beginning, I wouldn't have assumed the worst. I'm like, what in the heck, right? And so one of the easiest things we can do in this virtual environment is turn our cameras on and offer explanations if we're not participating. Yeah. But taking it really seriously, right? Because how in the world are we going to connect if we don't even have our cameras on? Communication is what? 92% of a message is nonverbal. Yeah. So you, you take away the nonverbal. I mean, what do you have left? 8%? We're going to yeah. assume the worst. So, so much yeah. of it about is taking the responsibility to show up, show that you care and find a way to connect with others. We're all trying to do the best we can under really challenging circumstances. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right there. I always say, look, psychological safety is so important uh, we want to make sure that you're in the room. If you're in the room, be in the room, but uh, please show up. If, if there is any challenges that you have, please let us know straight away, just so we know how to deal with it. Because otherwise, our brain goes off in another direction. And we start making up stuff. Uh, uh, and we don't want to do that. We just want to know that everything's uh, clear and we can have a great conversation and do whatever we need to do. So, Michelle... How can we find out more about you? Oh, you're so kind to even ask, Jason. Thank you so much. Yes, you can go to my website, which is Michelle with two L's, K Johnston with a T. So michellekjohnston.com. And it has my book and my podcast and all my media appearances. And, and just really, it's. It, let's be honest. To me, this is not about my book. This is about my mission right now. Yep. And I want to create healthier workplaces. I want to get rid of jerk bosses. I want yep. to teach people how to meaningfully connect because what I've learned is that connection drives results. So whatever results you're in charge of as a leader, whether you're in sales, whether you're in finance, if you spend time connecting and showing people you care, you are going to get more. You're going to get better results. So that's my mission. And thank you so much for uh, for interviewing me, for hosting me. And thank you to all of your listeners for, for tuning in. Thank you so much, Michelle. Uh, you've been listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host. Every week I speak with phenomenal people. And I say phenomenal because I mean it. Because I only speak to people that I really want to speak to. Because, again, it's all about that connection. It's all about having that trail of golden nuggets of knowledge so we can help others to get what they want. And that's my mission in life, to find success and what success means to me, but also how other people find their own success. So thank you once again. Thank you so much, Jason. Take care.
Thank you once again for listening to this beautiful episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast. Uh, You can find out more details about me on my website at jasoncooper.io. I'm the sales relationship coach, work in the areas of high-performance coaching, and not only high-performance coaching, high-performance training in the areas of developing your professional self in what areas to do with sales, leadership, and also coaching the managers and high-performance training from a different point of view, for the latest ways of doing things to help you get what you want and help your customers increase that edge 